to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Parents and caregivers, every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning offers free parent support meetings. These drop-in meetings help support families using a floor time approach with their children. We are here for you when you need the support, guidance, or just to share stories and experiences. These meetings are open to parents from anywhere around the world. Come whenever you can. Register at icdl.com parents. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. I am Daria Brown, and this week I have with me Dr. Susan Hopkins, who is the Executive Director of the Mary Center. Over Susan's two decades of experience in education, she's worked in the early years, K-12, post-secondary across contexts from Italy to the Northwest Territories, including classroom teacher, program support teacher, vice principal, district coordinator for inclusion, researcher, curriculum developer, and post-secondary instructor. And under Susan's leadership, the Mary Center has evolved into a highly respected, accessible, and successful center for teaching and learning self-reg. Susan co-authored the Self-Reg Schools Handbook for Educators and developed the online resources for the Principal's Edition with Stuart Shanker. She's also the CEO of the Mary Center's sister company, Self-Reg Global. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Thank you very much for the, the welcome. I'm really pleased to be here with you today. Well, we are here today to talk about the new Coreg community, which is an online space bringing together self-reggers from around the world using commenting, liking and sharing features. Members can explore the extensive library of video, graphic and blog content and post in the Coreg community forum while they interact with their peers. So I'm really excited to get into that. Uh, Co-regulation is such a big part of DIR floor time, the developmental individual differences relationship-based model, which self-reg is based on. And I discussed that at length with Dr. Shanker in a previous podcast that I will link to in the blog post for today's podcast. So um, I'd love to hear the progression of self-reg and why and how you decided to make a co-reg community. Well, thanks for uh, for asking, and I'm happy to be able to highlight the Coreg community. It was the truth is it has been part of the Merit Center, uh, which just passed its 10th anniversary. So it was uh, became an organization in 2011, and I've been running it since uh, seven years now. It's just about seven years now. And around the time I started and joined the organization at the end of 2014, uh, there was a community, and it was called. Peer site, and it was very much an intent of of bringing people who are interested in um, in self reg and the work that we do, but also other you know like minded and like hearted organizations and people working in relationship based spaces, for example, together as as a place to learn and communicate and connect. And the thing that we found was uh, that you, you know as sometimes happens, those things that you intend to be supportive and to support. Um, relationships and connections and conversations, they don't always work that way. And, and I think that's really a, um, a, a good lead into how we ended up focusing um, even more heavy on our work uh, in Coreg is what we're, what we're calling it. So, uh, you know, beginning with, uh, with, the, with the idea from the very beginning is that we look at self-reg as being about understanding uh, and stress and, and how we uh, not just the the negatives, you know, what we might consider as too much stress, but actually positive stress and how we need it 
uh, in our functioning in everyday lives. But so many people hear the word self-reg or self-regulation. And because it has the word self in it, it's, it's this idea that it is about managing yourself or managing your emotions or managing your behaviors or managing your stuff or some other variation of self-control. Stuart probably talked on, on the previous talk, there's 447 at least definitions out there, right, of what self-regulation is. So if, you, if, so if people listening, I mean, this is the DRR community. So my guess is that there's a lot more people that understand it. But if I speak to a group of, of educators in a typical school, most of them tell me it has something to do with organizing your stuff for getting things done on time or being able to manage strong emotions. And, and it's different. And so one of the things uh, about the science of, of the psychophysiological science is that it is always right from the beginning been about within relationships. It always is, you know, the dyad being, it really is, this is the core of it. But making that more explicit was important, okay? So that's one of the reasons why we began using the language of co-reg even more intentionally. Um, the other piece is that many people come to learn the work that we do and learn with us because they're trying to think about, you know, sometimes it's how to fix this kid, <laughs> you know, how do I deal with that behavior problem? You know, it's often that kind of an understanding. And as we begin to learn a little bit about the nervous system and the brain body reactions to stress and the five domains of, of experience, it, you begin thinking, it, you shift along the way and you're like, oh, this isn't just about that kid or, you know, it isn't. It's about every single one of us as human beings. Um, and so to me, the idea, the co-reg co really kind of evolved from the increasing importance and maybe the light that we're trying to shine on the fact that this is within relationships. And so the community is honestly just a place where, where people can lend each other their calm, they can connect on, you know, on, on things they're interested in, they can join a book club, you know, with a self-regger. So one of our team members, sometimes it's, I'm doing one coming up, I'm going to do an Alan Fogel book in, in November. Um, they can comment, they can dialogue, uh, but it's really meant to be extending that understanding of, of this is not within that kid. <laughs> this is within relationships and it's all of us. And I love that you, you brought that point home because that is, you know, the foundation of DIR floor time. The first functional emotional developmental capacity is uh, self-regulation and interest in the world and being able to attend so that you can then move up and engage and have back and forth interactions. And it, it's just so wonderful that self-reg has brought that to the wider community, not just to children on the spectrum or children with other challenges. It's really about everybody and about that idea of this child is under stress. It's not something that they are doing on purpose or or trying mm -hmm. to control. And one of the most important things in floor time that I've been focusing on more, more recently in the podcasts is really about that co-regulation piece because you don't get to self-regulation unless you've learned through co-regulation first. So, you know, when you have a baby and the baby cries, someone picks up the baby and you co-regulate. And by having that empathetic response, you then learn how to self-regulate. And certainly children on the spectrum vary in, in how quickly they can adapt and self-regulate. And, you know, I've watched my son, who's now 12 and a half, really needing lots and lots of co-regulation 
to now getting to the point where he is starting to self-regulate quite a bit on his own. And if not self-regulating, being able to communicate that he needs co-regulation, which is just an amazing, amazing thing that I've witnessed. So it's, yeah, it's so important that, that, that basis of feeling safe and, and Dr. Shanker talked about it in our previous podcast, how he had an interaction with a 14-year-old child who was a behavior problem. And when he sat down and just didn't put any pressure or demands on the child, and the child said something like, uh, do you like um, some kind of race cars? And that was his way of just feeling safe. Yeah. And it really made me think about what I do now with the way I interact with my son now, because he, you know, if, if he's been at school all day and I pick him up, maybe he's wanting to get that connection with me and feel comfortable after that transition. And he'll always ask me, like, what's your favorite Mario Kart character? Even though he's asked me a million times over the past year or so, he'll ask the same questions again. And that's just his reaching out to connect and feel safe so that that basis of safety is really what co-regulation is all about. Yeah, it's huge. And it's important to know there's different definitions of co-regulation too, just like self-regulation. I all often ask, and I try very much not to cue threat in people by asking them what's their definition of, I'm not trying to catch you. Uh It's just honestly, there are different definitions. And it's very important when we come back to the original one, which is the psychophysiological one, right? Uh, you know, of how the brain and body respond to stress and, and keep us within that, uh, I like the window of tolerance idea, within the, the homeostasis in these systems. It's the same with co-regulation. Some people will hear that and think you mean you're managing behavior so that then they can manage their behavior for themselves, right? And that's not the same thing here. This is saying, um, it, it's also trusting our instincts as, as parents. So for me, it's a really important one as a parent, it, like that idea of seeing beyond the behavior at the surface and to really asking why am why now, like what's beneath the surface. And so I find things, I find it very limiting when we say, um, oh, they're trying to seek attention. Okay, why? I like, I, Jody Carrington talks about seeking um, connection. Why, what is the underlying need? And so what the example that you just gave with your son and, and the Mario, that's seeking connection, but that's regulating to a central nervous system, right? We're actually fine. And so many times it's not about words. Sometimes it's just about being, being with, but we lend our, com- and it is not just a linear thing. Oh, you suddenly learn to self-regulate and you're good for the rest of your life. We all go through periods when we need others. And we have times when kids are co-regulators to us. My daughter's 14 now, almost. And she does it for me. The other day I was, I, I, you know, there was something I kind of got a little cranky, but we call it red brain, a little red brain about, um, and, and, and she said, she said to me, mom, she went and got me a cup of tea. And this wasn't her being really just, oh, it's no problem, mom, to be cranky. It was her seeing beyond the kind of, I, I, it wasn't anything dramatic, but she gets me a cup of tea and she says, I, I know you're just sensitive. You need a really good night's sleep. And she was right. And how does it feel when somebody else makes us feel understood? Well, that's what kids need from us too, right? So, so often it's our, if we notice our nervous, like if we feel that sort of weird feeling inside or something doesn't feel quite right, or we feel like it, there's actually this cascade. I like thinking of the Fitbit of the future, you know, and it's, it, there's this cascade of things going on in our brain and body. Same with the kid in front of us 
who's having the outburst or the shutdown or the hoodie and won't even lift their head. There's always more going on. And when we see that with the soft eyes, that's a language an elder gave me. When we see it, there's a little bit of science. We can see it differently and we can lend our calm. You know, it's, it's, it, to me, it's a humane, it's, it's trusting the dignity of people. It's trusting that these things are not just annoyances to train out of anybody. They're there for a reason. And when we understand it, we often see the very things we were trying to shift, shift as an outcome on the other end. For sure. And it, it really, you know, it, it's one of those things that can build and build. So if you have parents who are very behavioral with their child or teachers who are very behavioral with their child and are focusing on that, you're going to need to work that much harder to gain back the trust with those children. And the other thing that, um, you know, I think about all the time is as adults, we get dysregulated as much as children do. It's just that we've learned how to mask those catastrophic reactions. And I don't even know if masking is the right word. Uh, that's more a word used, you know, among self-advocates. But just, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, we were at a model train show a few years ago and my son saw the favorite British trains going along the track and started jumping up and down and flapping his hands. And a, an older man beside me looked at me and said, we all feel exactly the same way inside. We're just not showing it. Oh, and I thought, isn't that awesome that he recognized yeah. that about my son? And yeah, he feels that excited too inside, but my son is more carefree to just, you know, express his excitement. Um, and we haven't ever tried to suppress that. So um, it, it's, and, and you know, we'll, we'll realize that with our spouses too. Like if our spouses have a bad day or, or whatever, you know, we co-regulate with them. So it's such a part of just being human and interacting in relationships. Yeah, and we're not gonna get it right all the time. Like, that's the thing where like, I like the idea of being recognizing we're also human, we're gonna, we're gonna mess things up you know, uh, but the more and more you begin to think about it and, uh, you know, one of the five steps of self-reg, or I like thinking of them as five practices, is to become stress aware. It, it has to do with interoception. It's kind of noticing what goes on inside of us. Um, but the more that you, it's almost like a sneeze coming on. You can begin to feel, okay, th this, I'm not a huge believer in timeouts. I'm definitely like, I applaud the, the man next to you that made that statement because he's absolutely right. And, you know, uh, but the one person that sometimes needs one is me. And that, like, I was a single mom for most of my life. It's not, it's not as easy as simply saying that. I realize some people have very heavy, you know, stress loads and bad stress backpacks. But wherever you can get that moment, and sometimes it's just noticing, right? And what does that exhale suddenly make us feel a little bit more connected and noticing, okay, I'm getting wound up. It really is. It's realizing that. Like we can't lend calm if we're not calm, right? We can love our kids. We can, you're our, our, you're here as an educator. We can actually amp up. Like we've all been in situations um, where we maybe have escalated something, you know, and maybe in retrospect, we're glad because it's actually something we're going to advocate for and we're going to stand up for. And a little bit of that is okay. There's other times we're like, whoa, where'd that come from? And, and how to begin to kind of almost get ahead of it, or at very least look back on it and be able to make sense of, of the why and why now. It's, it's super, super important. Is there a, a curriculum around co-reg or is it part of the self-reg curriculum? We actually first put it in writing in, in this book 
um, because it was important to clarify how what we're talking about is a little different from how a behaviorist perspective on co-regulation is because it's in it is in the behaviors practice right um, and you're trying to shape behavior you know is looked at as as uh, can be looked at as co-regulation and that's not really what we're speaking about um, we also you know you have Steve Forge's work for example which is about um, it is more about um, uh, the vagus nerve and it's really about about um, how we use like if I wanted to intentionally um, raise your your heart rate you know I might not be able to know I'm doing that specifically it, but there's things I could do if I wanted to actually dial it down I can do it I do it with my daughter when she's really upset I'll we're a, a huggy family you know a lot most of the time not always but um, she'll, she'll come for a hug and I'm actually focusing on my own exhales and I'm slowing them down I'm having longer and longer and I can feel her kind of getting into the rhythm right so so there's ways that we do things like that. So we we ran into this sort of challenge that people were using different definitions of co-reg, um, co-regulation. And so for us, it is really about um, when the adult um, is helping another person, a child or whoever, um, with their own five steps or five practices of self-regulation. So that makes it sound very like head <laughs> academic and Oh, you know, and, and like Stuart's clinic and when he had the Mary Center at York, I mean, these were many of that were autistic children, three, you know, years, very little language. But but what it is, is beginning to okay recognize when you're getting overstressed and having strategies to do it. And many of them are, are you know, and, and then teaching all the adults around to normalize things like the flapping and the excitement is a very positive thing. That's terrific. That's actually a form of self-regulation, dealing with the stress, but you're thinking of, let's say the excitement is is also a stressor. It's gobbling up glucose to make it super simple, right? It, it is an, an energy gobbler, um, but that is helping stay in that window of tolerance. So co-reg co for us is sort of a marriage of, of, of all of that. Um, and it's just a way of thinking, okay, if I'm, you know, if I'm working with, I'm thinking of a, a, of a boy that I worked with at an early childhood center was four or five and um, and he, uh, you know, I was working with the center as a whole, but they had me watching this boy that would have what they were calling, you know, out, outbursts and he would hit and punch and spit and do all these things. And yet he had these really lovely moments. His name was Mikey and uh, that's the name I used for him anyway. His name and, and he had the big, big, neat smile. And he could be a really cute kid until he wasn't, if you know what I mean, right? Until you told him to do something different. And he was just due to transition into kindergarten and they were, They'd actually kept him at the at the preschool center um, a year longer because um, they just made an agreement that the ratios were better, basically, and it was more child-led. And um, like I think the schools need to move towards that the the, the student-led um, inquiry and play-based and all of these things that they line up with the science and how learning happens too, right? So, but anyway, they were they had him there, and he was. Um, uh, it was really interesting because. Um, they had good strategies, they had good relationships with him, and they had an adult not attached to his hip, but, you know, watching to, there was always somebody making sure because of other kids' safety and so on. But this little kid would go from zero to 500 in two seconds flat. Like, he, he would. It was the, this, the classic signs of allostatic overload. Human's work, right? Zero to 500, boom, it would take you forever to come down. So the Fitbit of the future, just think the chemicals of stress, right? Coursing through your brain and body. 
Um, you couldn't sleep afterwards if you tried, uh, right? And uh, that overreaction to the tiniest little thing. So it would, and, and then many of us start to focus on the tiny little thing. We think that's why it happened. No, <laughs> it's never explosive. Even Ross Green says, you know, that, that wasn't the, his first title for this book. It was never explosive. It's been coming. It just needed that one thing, right? And we can get better and noticing the signs earlier and doing something then. When can we intervene? How can we connect? How can we dial down the stress just a little bit? And then it's that being, the fourth one is volatile, emotion, physical. And he was very physically all over the place. And I still remember that he was, uh, I mean, it's just an example of Coreg in the moment, um, but I'll have to tell you that most of it is playing the long game. It's a drip, drip, drip effect. It's, you know, your your situation with your son and, and that, that didn't happen from one perfect parenting moment. But over and over again, helping him dial down, you know, soothe, and feel connected and, and not trying to solve a problem or, you know, say you're sorry or whatever, those things, there's this gap in between you need to honor because kids are not choosing that any more than we are when we lose our temper at somebody at a, a stoplight or something. Right. So Mikey, Mikey went, was having the dream day, which happens when people who are considered sort of your behavioral experts or whatever are coming in. And he was doing pretty good. And he was playing, it's like playing Frisbee with this other little boy. And I guess they, they said that was even a big deal because he never, he didn't play that well with other kids. Um, there's some developmental, he was only four, four, four and a half. You know, there's some developmental stuff there too. Um, but he was, he was playing with this little boy and it was the Frisbee was going all over the place. He, so he gets the Frisbee and he throws like the perfect shot. It hits the little boy that I'll call Clyde. Clyde falls down. He's had the wind knocked out of him. He's not hurt, but he's scared. He screams and cries. And the educators came over and they took care of him and I could see he was okay. What was fascinating was what Mikey did. Mikey instantly, so this happens, it's an accident. It's clearly an accident. They're playing. He runs to the top of the playground equipment and he goes, <sighs> and he's at the top. There's a little girl playing on the slide. She's trying to climb up. He scares her. And remember, there's a history. There's a history of him acting out with his hands and feet and all that stuff when when he feels explosive and he has no way to dial it down and nobody to help him recognize it and dial it down. That's what he needs, Coreg. Soft eyes, big heart, and help him dial it down. And then you're working towards learning to do it for himself over time, over time, over time, right? So he's at the top of the playground equipment. I'm at the bottom. I've only been there a day. He does not know me. He, it, he looks at me and I, I, I just check in on him and I'm very close just by where he ran. And, and I make my way over and I sit at the bottom and he starts yelling at me. Like he is yelling at the top of his lungs. You sh he should have and <laughs> he all these things that he was supposed to do. You know, they, they, that Clyde was, was a bad kid. You know, this is a little boy who, who thinks he's a bad kid. He told me that because that's what he's been told directly and indirectly, even though they like him, he's always in trouble for something. And so he's yelling at me and I, I responded. I said, he's okay, he's over there. You know, I have no idea whether he heard what I said because of course that cascade effects change how the ear works, changes everything, changes his ability to feel empathy. So it's blocking it. It's not that he's not an empathetic kid. He can't feel it in that moment, he's in survival. So he, he after a couple of minutes, he comes down, uh, down the ladder in front of me, which was quite a big deal in itself. 
It meant he felt enough safety. So you talked safety. I cued enough safety that he came down. And he wouldn't have done that if he didn't feel enough safety. And he hops into this yellow tunnel in front of me. And he's still very revved up. You can see the eyeballs like this and uh, very red brain, you know, very fight or flight. If I'd have pushed him, I could have got him to fight it. I, I could have escalated that and he'd have been sent home within, you know, two seconds spot kind of thing. And um, so it, it's like I noticed this shift that happens. There's a, it, it's an ergotrophic, trophotrophic shift, it's the shift, but it's if you've ever yelled at a kid and we don't want to yell at our kids, but some of us have, me, I've had moments. And when we look at that with soft eyes, we're like, what happened? I went red brain. But if you've ever yelled at them and you notice them do that kind of thing and you think they're complying, they're probably not. It's probably a shift into a different state and it turns off the thinking, the, the, the you're gonna learn your math or get your homework done or you're gonna be the good person and puts you into autopilot survival. So this was the other way. It was a little bit of safety I think I recognized and he and I said, no, he's okay, he's over there. And he hops out of the tunnel and he gets, and all I was trying to do was cue safety. I wanted to dial down his stress state, right? I wasn't actually trying to solve the problem of the other little boy. That wasn't, this wasn't the moment to do this. He needed me just as much as a kid who would have an asthma attack would need somebody to sit next to him. And, and he hops in, goes over and gets this, uh, this, this notepad where it, and brings it over and says, can you write that here? It's, it's one of those behavior reports. And he's so used to these ones going to his mom, which they have to do. You know, this isn't a bad center. They're doing the best they can for him. And I said, we don't have to, he's okay. And he on his own, so this was the lovely magic. I don't want you to think this means just because you do it this way and you soothe, you lend calm, that every time, you know, that magical behavior is happening. But don't mistake it and think that you're not helping with good citizens and good character. You are, you're teaching them that that was a stress response and I need to get back to feeling a little better. And then I can solve those things. It's actually a humane, it's what builds empathy by being treated like this. He goes over and finds the little boy and says, I'm sorry. I came, I came over as a teachable moment. I said, you know, ask him, is he okay? But I was practicing co-reg. And the biggest heart of that is you've got to see that, that the child's not choosing the behavior. The behavior, it actually makes completely logical sense when you understand there's a nervous system, a brain and body, not just a, not just a brain, but the physiology, we think of that too that are, are, are in a survival mode. And, and so how do we get him back to feeling safe again? It's the magic, right? And he really probably expected you to be coming over there to yell at him yeah. and say, look what you did, you hurt somebody, you shouldn't have done that. Like that's probably what he was defending and you didn't do that. And so yeah. he's like, hmm. Well, <laughs> cognitive dissonance, what? <laughs> Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, I've had examples where it didn't work in the moment, lots of them, you know, with, with kids I didn't know. I've done this with teenagers, but that that's the gist of, of what co-reg is. But the other thing that's fun about thinking of co-regulation is if I ask all of you watching right now to think about a person in your life, present or past, it could be a memory that you have, that when that person was in the room next to you, um, at the end of the phone, uh, you know, you just felt safer. You felt a little more rooted and connected. And, and, you know, it's not about any magic words. It's just that person 
made you feel safe and their presence made you feel safe. And that allowed it for a little bit of grounding. Well, there's a cascade of physiological stuff that happens in both, right? It's not, it, it actually is a win-win. Stuart says calm, he gets calm, he gets calm, he gets calm, you know, we, we feel better on both ends, ends of it. But there's this actual syncing up of our systems and it's just such a gift uh, to any, anyone who's struggling um, at any time in their lives. And Dr. Shanker talked about the interbrain last time, which is, I think, what you mean by syncing up. Yeah, it's, I mean, it goes back, Alan Shore's work is a lot, is connected to this, and it goes back, there's many researchers, um, but Digby Tantum wrote a book called The Interbrain, and he literally describes it as a Bluetooth um, between, between individuals. And, and I think it's really important, there's, there's neat science, like there's been science around for quite a while that we know that a caregiver, uh, for example, um, the brain state can actually impact uh, the, that's my dog out there, the caregiver can impact the infant's brain. It's, you know, in super simple terms, my, my, my degrees are all in education, so I'm not a clinician, I'm a, an educator, and I think at the universal level and knowledge translation and these things, but it's like you can think about the same similar areas of the brain lighting up and there's a bit of a synchrony. Uh, it, it is mirroring, but it's it's more of a synchrony that's happening where we have a shared emotion, uh, you know, and it when we can um, when we can think about it that way, it's it's also we need a, that's why relationships are where you start whenever you're trying to work through something, whether it's with your own children or again, if you're in early learning or in schools, it's we have to, we think, oh, yeah, of course, relationships are important. And then it's like the kids that we struggle with the most are the one that we don't have that, that I'm a teacher. So teachers know about the look, <laughs> right? That there's some certain kids you can just give them a look, you know, and, and there's that sync because there's a connection and it is actually operating on, on both on both of our systems, but it can be a tool um, to harness and lend safety. And, you know, if you think about it, uh, it connected to the inner brain is like limbic contagion. So, it's why right now anxiety rates are through the roof. And let's say you've got, um, I don't know, kids writing a test and and there's some high math anxiety and there's a little bit in the class and it spreads. It's not just the idea of it is spreading. It's that the limbic brains are communicating to one another. It apparently goes back to like the survival of our species, if you can think about it, of sitting around and and one one person had noticed a predator, you know, picked up that there was a predator of some kind in the woods, a bear or whatever, and and that it kind of spreads really through quickly through a community. We felt this. We felt this around elections. Like think about you know things that wherever you stand, when you can get kind of polarized, it also can be a really positive thing. Think about I, I love young children and music, and think about the joy of children with with music and shared singing. Or um, when we go to a concert, if you love concert or for, you know, many, oftentimes it can be through faith-based uh, practices, whatever your faith is, there is something in your, the practice of your faith that is naturally self-regulating, but it is, it is goes through you um, at, an, at an energetic level, which I know sounds woo-woo, but that's what's neat. The science is actually like taking taking pictures of brains and the same parts of the brains are lit up so there is this this linking and and so it's a really neat part this interbrain but it's also important when you have someone you're you're struggling with and maybe it's your own child and it's okay to say i'm so frustrated i've said for the five thousandth time 
put your boots away or clean your room or get off the, you know, the technology. And yeah, I've said further, you know, and you've tried all of the things and you've tried, um, if you've tried some of the behaviors, things, and they've worked, think, I bet you get the relationship, you know, they think about, does it really work? Does it work long-term? Is it leading to more independence and in that making these choices for ourselves and things? Um, but it, it, it is, it is really about, it, you know, recognizing that that's where we have to start. So if I'm trying to get my kid to do something and my relationship is like, you know, walking on eggshells right now. And again, it's not blame. It's just honestly, because I'm so busy. I'm a, you know, a mom and I'm trying to be everything to everybody. And, and my mother-in-law needs this and, and my stress system is like this. Guess what? I don't have any calm to learn. Right. And so how can I start with that connection? Put your phone down, spend 15 minutes, you know, doing something together. They're like, I want to show you my car for the 5,000th time. Let's look at your car. <laughs> right. And maybe another way of thinking of it is if you've got a kid that asks you over and over every day, can you come, can you come see? And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. But then you get to the end of the day and you've never spent that 15 minutes. Oh, you know, not judging yourself. And that doesn't make you bad. That makes you human. But now, okay, if I go back and invest those 15 minutes and I spend a little bit of time and restoration and the things that leave us more connected, more energetic with the teenager, maybe it's just sitting side by side on a drive to the, you know, on a drive somewhere and they get to put their music on, you know, just a few minutes of just being with that that can help you um, when you're having those, you know, it helps reduce the number of red brain or the dysregulated and the distress. It definitely does. You get better at noticing it coming and intervening with love <laughs> and lending calm. And, but it, but it also helps you in the moment too, as well. So. And I imagine that when people learn about this, they start to notice it more and more. Yeah. So if, if you've been in a frame of mind that, um, been thinking differently and then you start to hear these examples it starts to make sense and then you start to notice it more and that's really where this co-reg community comes in because then you can share your thoughts with other people that are learning it as well and have that you know like-minded group to bounce ideas off of and i'm curious if is it educators is it parents is it clinicians or all of the above that yeah. that come onto this community yeah, it's all of the above. I call them like-hearted. They, their nickname is self-reggers. It was a nickname my daughter gave them when, <laughs> to Stuart, and that's sort of where it came from years ago, and it just sort of stuck. Um, they tend to be like-hearted people, which means um, I, I find our community is, is uh, they're also people who have big equity issue. You know, they want, they want to see a better world for everybody. Um, so it, it, it draws bigger things which may have come out I didn't hear Stuart's talk with you but may have come out in his advocacy for a just society and you know this is more than just the behavior of that kid and or whatever diagnosis um so it is uh, there's lots of educators um many people come and join it um, because they were trying to figure out a student or their own children so we have sort of those are the two but that's the neat thing you go through this moment of learning and you're like oh in the penny drops and, and you can begin to think about, like we have people tell us all the time that it, the saying of once you see it, you can't unsee it, you begin to see it everywhere in the world. And it's nice just to be in a group 
uh, you know, and have this community where you can come together and and begin to uh, to to access more learning to to do it. I mean, we 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 originally were going to have a, a charge for it, and then we've made it free, just so whoever wanted to access it can access it. We have book studies. There's um, one that's almost done of um, Stuart's parenting book, Self Reg, led by uh, Aviva Dunsinger, who's a kindergarten teacher. There's another one on the Self Reg Schools Handbook, um, which is uh, being right now. I'm doing one of Alan Fogel's um, new book, uh, and he's brilliant. And Stuart wrote the preface for that. But we'll be doing more of these in the future with different folks. So it is sometimes it's a nice place just to come. We also, I should I should mention as as, as what is truly a co-rate community um, is our parenting Facebook group as well for anybody that's looking for a different kind of community. There's I think it's six thousand members. It is um, facilitated by Vicki Parnell, who is um, one of she works for us. Uh, she has uh, there are a lot of people in there that are in different groups. Um, you know, many many people that have children that struggle in all kinds of ways. She herself has two adult children uh, that are on the spectrum. And so she talks a lot about that, but it's this neat community. It's not experts. You're not going to get thou sheltered um, where people go in and say, hey, I can't get my kid to eat his dinner. Or, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, I'm struggling to get the school to understand and I get this, but can we help the school? And it's not that you have easy, instant answers, but you have this community of people that that will always be kind, will always you know, get you with little chances to learn in ways, ask things that are meaningful for you. Um, and that's the idea of the co-reg community too. So we can't do everything on one of these social media platforms. We wanted a place where we could have videos and we could have book clubs and we could have discussions and we could have um, little bits of content um, that would add, that was free, right? So we have stuff, stuff that people can pay for, but we wanted people to be able to access and and find like-hearted folks. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone. You're like, oh, I get this, you know, I get this, but there's just me. And I know in person is nice, but but having someone on the other end in an online community that is uh, that 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 ha is on the journey too. Like there are there are people that know more, but there's you know we bust the expert model. Nobody's going to you know be an expert of somebody else's parents. Uh, somebody else's children this sort of thing it's just we know some stuff and you know trying to figure it out together and a lot of very community organ oriented people so that that is the idea it's meant to be a nice safe space um, where people can come and learn they can engage they can meet others uh, there's ways for them to know who has done a lot of training with us who are our team members um, but we have we have psychologists and psychiatrists and professors and researchers and early childhood educators and education assistants and parents of all different, you know, all kinds of different kinds of parenting. We, you know, we do lots of work in foster care, uh, you know, and folks in, in care. We're working with, we're working with youth. We're working with uh, those grandparents. I mean, there's all sorts of different you know, there is no no one that's not welcome. Everybody is welcome. And uh, so that's the intention. And it's meant to be very driven by what people ask us for. We, we, we're pretty responsive in our approaches. And we do our best to create new content. And we really, it's not some big, long strategic plan. It's, it's strategic directions, our five North Stars. And so when people ask us for stuff, we build it. So it's also a place where you can influence uh, 
you know, what our next conference will be or what our next course will be with, with your ideas. So for those watching the video on YouTube, I'm showing coregcommunity.com and uh, you can see it here. For those listening on audio, you can check it out uh, later at the blog post at affectautism.com. They have here courses and webinars, uh, certain features, different pull down menus that give you a bunch of choices, a library filled with resources. Here's the book clubs link that Susan mentioned, stories discussion area. You can click here to join, log in. It's all free. And it certainly would have a big overlap with people doing DIR floor time because uh, even when our children move up that developmental ladder into the higher functional emotional developmental capacities we are always jumping back and working on that you know co-regulating getting that safety back and then working up the developmental ladder again so uh thank you so much for sharing all of this information with us and, and i should tell you we have many dir practitioners that are part of our team so paula yep. Jurassic. If she's our e-school dean, we work with Dr. Jerry Costa, who is chair of your board, you know, yeah. I believe. And we At ICD, yep. Yeah. There are uh, Amanda Bins. There's many people that are on our team that are also um, part of your your organization. So that's kind of neat and because it means that that there are possibilities to, to have conversations with people who can talk about the intersections between the two and, you know, uh, uh, so definitely. Absolutely. And this, this definitely, you know, this is, is based in Canada, based in Ontario. I imagine lots of the people in the, in the community are Canadian, but you also have people from the United States and around the world, I imagine. Oh, internationally with Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, we've done things in foreign, three foreign languages in the last three weeks. So yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is, I mean, we started in Canada and the home is in Ontario, um, but there's lot, lots, uh, well, there's lots of people. I'm not sure about the COVID community mix up, makeup, but I know we have people in the in our courses that have taken courses from just about every state in the U.S., um, but you, you name it, we've been there. Uh, well, it's, it's wonderful. It's uh, a branch out of the DIR model uh, inspired by Dr. Greenspan from you know his work with Dr. Shanker. And I've just really enjoyed watching the journey of self-reg and now into co-reg. So uh, I hope people will, will dive in and I'll put links to all of the things we discussed at affectautism.com on the co-reg podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Susan Hopkins. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here and lovely sharing stories and hearing your stories too. Until next time, Here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play or just go to wechoseplay.com. Season one has begun and you can find episode one and episode two with episode three on its way. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day.